Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. We provide wisdom for personal growth and healthy relationships. Stick with us and you'll gain practical tools and insights that will help you be a healthier and happier you. Hey everyone, welcome back. Thank you so much for being here. We're going to jump right back into our interview with Stephanie. With the court case, the guy that hit us, he still was not arrested yet. It took them a year to arrest him. And then it took them two years to have him go before a judge to have him sentenced. And so with that, um, I was doing my physical therapy. We were doing bits and pieces with um, trying to settle things through the insurance company. That's so uh, by the grace of God, I had a very wonderful, kind lawyer that I had known growing up, who's an amazing, excellent lawyer. And he donated his time and he was able to help me with all of that. And then my insurance company that um, was active during the accident time, they didn't want to pay any of the medical expenses. And so for two years, I had to be on the phone twice a week, trying to talk to them, trying to get them to understand retelling my story to a new person every single time. My medical bills were exorbitant. They were huge. I didn't know how I was going to pay them. Um, so I had all these people sending me all of these bills saying that I was going to go into collections and that was overwhelming also. So I had a lot of things going on and then I had to make sure that Kate was taken care of as well. She had hip dysplasia. So I had to make sure that I now switched my insurance over to California, got her the right doctor. Um, she was still very tiny and very little. The first doctor I saw said that she doesn't see a problem and it's fine. So then the second doctor that I saw said she absolutely has hip dysplasia and sent me home with her wearing a brace that day and said, have her wear it 24 hours a day. Don't ever take it off unless you change her um, or unless she's taking a bath and put it right back on. And she needs to have that every single day, even while she sleeps for a whole year. So I was praising the Lord that we found the right doctor, but all of these things are exhausting um, to be taken care of by yourself, to be going through grief, to have the help, but it's not the same help to also then be dealing with my own physical disabilities, some problems with insurances, and then to figure out like what's going to happen for the rest of my life. It's really a scary, daunting thing because when I looked at my bank account, there was really nothing there. Steve and I had three to six months of savings, but we pretty much had gone through that. So I was very scared. What is going to happen? I have to pay for who knows how many medical bills. I was in so much pain. I was trying to figure out what to do. So I was going to multiple doctors to try to help me losing a lot of hope. And so it's all these little things that just keep feeling like they're mounting up and mounting up. And how am I ever going to get through this? I knew I was going to get through, but it seemed overwhelming at the beginning. And then I had this beautiful little baby. I wanted her to have the best life, but then now she was going to have a life without a dad. So there are multiple levels of grief in that too. We tried so hard to do everything the way that the Lord wanted us to do. And yet this still happened. It was the day to day that was hard. Just learning how to do things was difficult. I had to relearn 
how to do things on my own physically. And then I also was learning how to take care of a baby for the first time and how my body was changed and healing from all my different surgeries and things like that. So for me, the grief was in different levels. It also was this guy that hit us. He was intoxicated. He shouldn't have even been driving. So why was he driving that night? And what got him to the point that he was at to where he felt it was okay to drive like that? And what had gone in on in his life that would have made him make all these poor choices to where now he's killed somebody and he's ruined a family's life and taken away a little girl's daddy. This wasn't his first run-in with the law, is that right? Right, yeah. So the police department knew him already. And so when they found out who it was, they were really discouraged because they've been trying to take care of him and what he had been doing. He was actually on parole. And so they were really upset and very frustrated because this is somebody that should have been kept away so that they wouldn't be doing these things because it seems to me like he kept being released and returning to the behaviors of drugs and abusing drugs and selling drugs. And so with that, the police department was super, super frustrated. The detectives, they knew him. And so they're like, oh, it's him. Of course it's him. And we've been trying to help him change his life and he hasn't been doing that. And so he was still a young kid though. I mean, he was only 25 years old. And then I found out that he also had a son. He had a son when he was like 13 years old. And so that's a lot. For me, I had more compassion towards him. I wasn't angry. I was hurt, very, very hurt and angry at his choices. But the forgiveness came pretty instant for him. Because for me, I was looking at him just like some of my students that I had when I taught high school English, trying to figure out how to inspire them to do better. And their life was just so terrible. They had so many things in their life that as a young kid, they had to deal with. As a high school kid, they should never have to deal with. And so for me, this guy who was 25 years old, I was thinking, wow, something terrible must have been happening through this guy's life to where he would be continually returning to drugs to where it just amounted to this. And then he killed somebody. So for me, I didn't know if he was even sorry or if he even cared or if his heart was hardened or if he did care. I didn't know. So that was that was a hard thing um, to deal with. But I also didn't hold all this against him. I definitely was able to forgive him right away. And I think that comes from your life. And I know that you went back for one of the court hearings. How difficult was that for you? And what happened there? This guy, he had a lot of different charges against him that involved drugs. So right after the accident, he was released from the hospital. He was free. So in the hospital, they did take a blood sample and in the blood work, though, they did find that there was alcohol, there was cocaine and marijuana the night of the accident. He kept saying that he blacked out at the wheel and that it was because he had gone into like a diabetic coma because he has diabetes. 
But when they tested his blood sugar level, it was not at a level that would have caused any of that. And so they found cocaine and marijuana in his blood, but they were, the district attorney told me they were not able to use that blood sample as evidence because it was not taken in a way that is acceptable by the court. So there's a margin of error there that would mean that the judge would just throw it out. It needs to be done very specifically and strategically with the police department. And the hospital didn't even wait for the police to be there. They took the blood right away and tested it and didn't tell the police. So then they couldn't do it anymore. They couldn't use that as any type of evidence to indicate that this person should be charged with manslaughter. Even though it technically is an involuntary thing, he did do it on accident. His actions were purposeful in getting behind the wheel. So it took about two years for him to have the case completely taken care of. And he was going to go before the judge to have his sentencing done. And so as a victim, you're allowed to give a victim's statement. So when it was time to go out to Texas to give my victim's statement, I was going to go out just by myself because pretty expensive to fly back and forth and then to also find a place to stay. Um, and so my mom would be able to come, but I couldn't really afford for her to come. I was very blessed because I had so many wonderful people who provided for me. And so then I had friends just step in, um, people that I knew very well, people who I didn't know very well, they just said, don't worry about it. We're going to take care of it. And that was so overwhelming and humbling to me because people just stepped in and they said, we're just going to take care of it because we know that this is what you need to do. And we're going to have your mom come out with you because we don't want you to go alone. And we're also going to pay for yours as well. I was able to use someone's um, airline miles for the plane tickets and then people, they took care of the hotel room for me. They even provided a rental car for me. And that was just such a beautiful, wonderful, humbling thing because then I didn't have to feel rushed or feel alone. Uh, my mom got to come and I got to be there. Um, Steve's parents, they were able to come. And the way that God provides is just mind blowing to me and so amazing and humbling. He cares so much for his kids and it's just so evident in my life. And so I was able to go into that courtroom and sit on the victim stand and talk to the man that hit us. And um, he was not allowed to speak to me, but I got to speak to him. And I was able to tell him about Steve and about our life and about how we struggled to get pregnant and how our daughter is doing now. Um, and then some of the things that I had to deal with of losing him. And then I got to tell him that I wanted to offer grace to him because I had been given grace by the Lord Jesus Christ. And I saw his eyes get very teary. He wasn't allowed to speak to me again. Um, but I wanted to explain to him that I don't hate him and I'm not mad at him as a person, but I am frustrated with his choices, but I do forgive him and I want him to use this as an opportunity to change so that this never happens again. And then I did end the whole thing with telling him that I want him to know who Jesus is because Jesus is the only one who could change him and that Jesus loves him very, very much. And that this 
way that he's living is not what God has for him, but God does have a plan for him. And that my goal for him would be to introduce him to Steve in heaven. And that's where I kind of left it. The entire courtroom was filled with the amazing police department, the detectives who worked on my case, as many people that could come, they came. The fire department, the paramedics that were all part of my accident, they all came too. So they all got to hear everything that was said and how everything was done. And people just were in awe. They didn't understand how someone like me could express that towards someone who really, really hurt my family um, and stole the life of my husband. And so with that, I had to just keep telling them that is only by the grace of God because of what the Lord has given me. That was the only reason why I can extend this forgiveness and grace is because of that. Yeah. What role do you think forgiveness played in your own healing? I think that forgiveness played a huge role in healing because otherwise I would have been using my energy to be angry and to be frustrated and to constantly be thinking about the things that this man did to my family and forgiving him released me of that. I didn't have to think about any of those things. I truly believe that God prepared me for that moment because when I was in high school, I had to deal with friends that were very, very terrible to me. And I had to learn how to forgive. And that was hard. Um, People that I loved, I had to learn how to forgive them. And that was very, very hard. But going through that, looking back, I know that little things like that God put in my life so that when it came time to have this really large moment where I really needed to forgive someone that did something very, very terrible to me, I was able to do it very quickly. And I praise the Lord for that. It's only because of his grace and it's only because of what he has done on the cross for me that I knew that that is where my heart needed to be and where it was. It wasn't even a thought in my mind. It was instant. It was right away. And I know it's because the Lord had been building that in my life and teaching me how to forgive the way that he has offered forgiveness for every person. That's such a powerful thing to be able to see the Lord's hand in all of that. I did get to write him in prison. He got 12 years. And for me, I just didn't want him to have this hopelessness. He did reach out to me through Facebook, through his mom, because he wasn't allowed to have any communication. But his mom wrote what he said, and he just was telling me, how much he hated himself and how much he wishes that it was him that died and not Steve and that he is beyond sorry. I'll never know how sorry he is and that he wakes up constantly from nightmares of what has happened. I felt the Lord really putting on my heart that he wanted me to write to him. So I have written to him two times since 2016 and both times it's very hard. It's very hard to write because it's very emotional and it brings up a lot of grief as well. Um, But I want to do it. I want to make sure that he knows that what I said in the courtroom is true. So the first one, I just sent him a little Christmas card um, with Kate and me showing him kind of where our life is now and the struggles that we kind of had to go through. It was very, very brief. I wanted to let him know that what I said in the courtroom, though, was absolutely true, that I do not hold him in this area of my mind where it's just filled with hate and anger and frustration but that I have truly forgiven him. And I do want the best for him, especially because I found out that he does have 
a son. He had a son when he was 13 years old and that has to be overwhelming. I was thinking of this person, how did they get to the point where they are? And I was thinking of all of the students that I had in my classroom who were on the same path that I would talk to that were sitting in front of me. And I would learn about the terrible things and atrocities that they had to deal with in their life and me encouraging them and trying to help instruct them to go a different path. This man was only 25 years old when this happened and he had a son and I wanted him to know that there is a different way, that he can choose a different path, uh, if not for himself, but for his son, and also to not hurt anybody else. And so um, I did write him a second time and I got into, I got to talk, I got to write out things a little bit more. And um, I wanted him to know that the Lord really does have good things for his life. He just needs to choose it and take care, take hold of it. And I wrote to him the Bible verse um, in Matthew where it talks about how the Lord leaves the 99 to find the one. Just meaning that if the Lord is our shepherd and he has the flock of sheep, that he knows that these 99 sheep are good and healthy and safe. And there's one though that's not safe. And he's going to go rescue that one. And he's going to go after that one because he loves everyone so much. And I wanted Jared to know that I felt that the reason why God called us to Texas, I couldn't think of any other reason besides the fact that it was because of him, that in the Bible verse of Jesus, leaving the 99 and finding the one that he is the one. And he said that when he read that he was just moved to tears because first, the fact that I would even say that to him was overwhelming to him. Second, the only Bible memory verse that he can remember is that verse. And he doesn't even remember when he learned it, but he learned it from when he was a child. And then I'm the one that brought it back to him. He said that he knows that God's been trying to get a hold of him for a while, like I told him in my letter, and that he truly has given his life to Christ now. He said that he still struggles with nightmares and a lot of hate for himself because of his choices and what he has done, but he, he does see a different type of life now in front of him. And he wanted to assure me that he is going to be choosing a different path and that he currently is choosing a different path. Now, I thought that was so kind that he made sure that he told me that because that's something that I want for him is only Jesus can save someone like that. Only Jesus can change someone's heart like that. And I truly do want the best for people out of him. And I don't want this that happened to me to happen to anyone else. That's such an incredible testimony. Uh, even from the memory verse that he has memorized and then you bringing it back. Um, and even to see your perspective and the way that you are choosing because it really is a choice you're being very intentional on how you're viewing the whole situation and viewing him and so I just want to say that you are such an inspiration and be able to see the joy that you carry in your life in the midst of all of this I always see you sharing your story and always bringing the Lord into it and seeing it from the perspective where you have that's such an incredible thing I don't know if you've heard this quote but from the boundaries book they talk about it's not your fault, but it is your problem. You know, if a drunk driver comes and hits someone, it's not their fault that that happened, but
but it is now their problem. And this idea where this person hit you guys and it was not by any means your guys' fault, but it is your problem now. And he has gone along with his life and you are now stuck with, gosh, all this grief and the results physically, you had a lot of healing to go through. And I think that's important to recognize that really at some point it was then your choice to make, am I going to get up and do the physical therapy? Am I going to go and do what I need to do at the doctor's? And you had a lot of grief going on at that time. And it makes sense to me when you talk about exhaustion and you kind of summed it up yourself, but the emotional exhaustion you're feeling, the physical exhaustion, grief in itself, that's a lot to deal with. And then you had the court, the insurance companies, the social aspect that you were kind of dancing and trying to balance of people wanting to come over and you needing space. Um, so all of that leads to this exhaustion. How can you relate to that quote? And does that quote resonate with you with, it's not your fault, but it is your problem? It definitely is my problem, even though it's not my fault. And I can spend lots of time thinking, but it wasn't my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. But for me, I try to say, okay, here I am. This is what happened to me. But what can I do next? What is right in front of me? What does God have for me right now? Sometimes I would be nursing my baby and just staring out the window and watching the wind move through the leaves in the trees. And the Lord would remind me that he has so much more for my life than just this. It was, okay, what am I supposed to do to get well? I need to get well. I need to get well, just not for myself, but I need to get well to be the best mom I can be for my daughter. I need to get well because I know the Lord wants to use this. And how am I going to allow him to use this if I don't get well? And so for me, it was pushing through those moments of sadness and making sure that, okay, this happened to me, but what am I going to do next? What is right here in front of me right now that I can take care of? And then for me, I also see the Lord has revealed to me all these people who have helped me and poured into my life and still do that. And the Lord talked to me about the story of Zacchaeus. And if you sing the little song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed his way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. And with that, I was just thinking... Zacchaeus needed that tree planted before he even knew he needed to use it. He needed the Lord to put it there for him. The Lord knew that Zacchaeus needed that tree to climb up so he could see Jesus passing that way. The Lord planted the tree in the very specific spot that Zacchaeus would be able to see Jesus Christ in the best way. And then later, Jesus went to his house and his whole entire house was saved. They received salvation. And if that tree wasn't there, Zacchaeus could have found a different way to see Jesus, but it was there. The Lord planned for it to be there for Zacchaeus. For me, I see that as the Lord always going before us and always taking care of us in ways that we don't understand at the beginning, but we see sometimes later. And that happened to me through this whole journey. There were people that the Lord placed in my life, the physical therapist that I knew his children and babysat them growing up through church that helped me 
get well. And I was able to trust him and believe what he said because I knew him well. And he also is excellent. He's the, one of the best physical therapists that you can have. And so the Lord didn't just give me a physical therapist. He gave me the best one. And then his best friend is a lawyer and he's one of the best lawyers. And he represented me for my case out of the goodness of his heart. And I babysat his children growing up. So I knew that I could trust him. And when I had to push through and try to figure out these things in my life, these, these men that the Lord had given me, he had them go to school to become a lawyer. He had them go to school to become a physical therapist. And then they worked hard in excellence to become who they were today. And then the Lord said, well, I'm going to have them help you. That was very, very humbling to me and that their hearts were in a position and that they were in a position to help me. That was a huge, wonderful, beautiful thing. There were so many things in my story where God pointed out people that were like the tree that he planted for Zacchaeus. Just even the paramedics that were there, the fire department, the team that was there assisting at the time. So many times they kept saying um, to me after I went to go visit them to find out what had happened. So many times they told me, you weren't supposed to survive. Nothing was making sense. When we were supposed to do this and we chose not to, we always do this this way and then we didn't do it. And then we found out that it was good we didn't do that because it would have harmed your baby when they were trying to help me medically in the ambulance. And they said that, you know, the freeway is normally packed solid with cars, but they were able to go quickly that day. And they didn't know why, but the ER was completely empty that day. And there were no emergencies like mine. They also told me that the doctors and nurses that were there were the best in the nation. They were there that day because it's a teaching hospital and it was their day to be there. And they never had a case like mine. So all the attention was on me, not just with doctors, but I had extra hands from students who were becoming doctors. So the way that the Lord took care in of me and provided for me just to even save my life and to save my baby's life was showing me that he always goes before you. He always prepares a way for you. He always makes the way for you to be taken care of and to be provided for. The police department, they were so supportive. Like I said, they, they showed up. The paramedics, the fire department, they all showed up in the courtroom. And they also showed up for me when I, when I again, didn't know how I was going to provide for myself. They finished off my baby registry list and they brought me all the gifts over. Um, they actually brought it over the day that I felt probably the worst, but that was the day that Kate was born. <laughs> that was so cool. They came over and they just presented me with so many beautiful gifts. Their hearts are so beautiful and so kind. And the police showed up, um, the fire department, they weren't able to come because they had a call, but then they drove their fire engine over to my house because they didn't want to miss it. Everyone was so loving and so kind and so generous. And my sister's husband set up a GoFundMe and I was able to receive funds through that. And I was very, very humbled and overwhelmed by people just giving and their goodness and their kindness. And them showing me how much they cared. And in turn, that, that was God showing me how he will always provide and take care of me. When I was released from the hospital after 11 days, um, I remember my mom, when she took me home, I could hear the birds chirping. 
that was an interesting sound to me because I didn't realize, but I had only been hearing hospital sounds for so long and I did not hear any birds chirping. And so when I went into my room for the first time after being in the hospital, I kept hearing these birds chirping and it was such um, a sense of relief and peace that the Lord gave me because he kept telling me in my mind, even the sparrows, because the Lord knew how worried I was of how am I going to take care of myself? How am I going to get well? How am I going to take care of my baby? How am I going to financially um, be able to take care of all this stuff? Um, and he kept telling me even the sparrows. So when you read out of Psalm 84, three, it says, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. And then in Matthew 6, 26, it talks about how the birds of the air, they don't even worry about where they're going to eat or where they're going to sleep, but that the Lord even cares for them. And at the end of that, it says, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then there are other verses that talk about birds and it talks about how even the, the amount of hairs that are on our head are numbered. So the Lord kept reminding me and telling me how much he cares for me and how much he will provide for me and that I am not abandoned. And he kept reminding me that he constantly tells us through scripture that he will never leave us or forsake us. And that is something that I held fast to. So though I was very worried about um, what was going to happen to me, was I going to have to be a single mom and start working and grieving the loss of Steve and I planning for me to stay home for our child? And then also, how was I going to find babysitting and things like that? and doing all this alone, the Lord brought me Andrew. And in that, he brought me someone who is like-minded. He brought me someone who loves Jesus. He brought me someone who truly is a Christ follower and is a leader. And he also, because he's like-minded, he wanted me to stay home with our children. Andrew has two children that he brought into our marriage, um, an older daughter that is 15, and then a younger daughter that is five. And then I have Kate who is six. And so it was beautiful because we all got to start new from uh, different types of grief, but we got to start new together as a family. And the way that the Lord was blessing us and teaching us was such a beautiful thing because a lot of that initial worry of how am I going to provide, how am I going to take care of myself? And the Lord telling me, I will do it for you. You need to stop worrying so much. Then he brought me Andrew and a lot of that was alleviated. And that was such a huge blessing from the Lord and very humbling for me. Um, and just showing me, I really do need to trust in what the Lord has for me. Um, and then with marriage, we have a great marriage, but there are so many different aspects to it because he has his grief from his past relationships. And then I have my grief from losing Steve. But then again, the Lord, he always provides. And that's what Andrew keeps reminding me of also. So such a blessing that the Lord has given me through such a godly husband, through Andrew, who also is man enough to understand that I did lose Steve and I will always love him. Um, he's not an ex, but also to be man enough to be my husband fully and love me 
to have him understand the love that I have for him is very, very great. It's not diminished in any way. And almost that I feel it even more. I want him to know even more because I did lose Steve. Not that I didn't tell Steve all the time, but I feel like I really need to express to people in my life how much they are valued and how much they are loved. And I'm not going to let a minute go by without them knowing that because I want to make sure that they do understand and recognize that. So I do really appreciate what the Lord has given me through Andrew. Um, And he's a father for Kate. I was very worried about Kate not having a dad. The Lord provided such an amazing father for Kate, an amazing example, someone who loves her and cares for her as if she was his own. And they have such a special relationship and I love watching them together and laugh together. And God is just so good. And he's just been so kind to us. Yeah. What an amazing blessing he is, but that could be an entire podcast in itself, just balancing that grief now in this new relationship and honoring Andrew and yet honoring the memory of Steve and who he is to you and to Kate. So what was the thing that was most helpful for you that people said or did in your grief? The thing that was most helpful for people to do um, was honestly just to be present, but also to understand the relationship that they had with me. If they were not very close with me, it was not helpful for me to have them push their way into my life when I needed just close family and very close friends. And it's hard for people and especially me to tell people, no, I I can't have you here. I don't really know you. You have to be in my personal space. And there's a lot of things going on. Um, But it was helpful when people who weren't very close to me did send me things, for example, a note or a card or flowers or let me know that they were thinking of me. They were praying for me, that they're so sorry. That was helpful. People sent a lot of notes and I saved them all so that Kate can read them later. And they were recounting stories. And I had asked for this actually also. I don't know a lot of the ways that people experienced Steve through their lives. And so I wanted to know that. And I wanted Kate to learn who her dad was through other people's lives and their experiences with him. So I asked for people to write to me and to tell me their memories of Steve. And that was very, very helpful and very, very healing and very good because I got to learn things I didn't even know. I got to even (laughs) learn how more wonderful he was. And I got to learn about the selfless things that he did for people that he didn't even tell me, which showed me what a man of God he was. I knew, but I knew even more the depths of his character through all these people, through our students, through people who he grew up with that he didn't know. So talking about him was very, very helpful, very good. Um, Humor was good. Uh, My friend Kylie would always send me hilarious things um, that her kids were doing. And she would just like her role in life is just to be a comedian. And so she just (laughs) got me laughing and that was very wonderful. People who would come to me and just give me chocolate, that was really good too. That was helpful and kind. And they didn't say, hey, here's the chocolate that I like. They actually called me and said, what chocolate do you like? And I said, I like raspberry chocolate. And I got a whole pound of C's 
chocolates that I ate all by myself. I probably was supposed to share them, but that was a wonderful thing and so kind. People who wanted to know my needs and I was able to express them and then they met them. That was wonderful. People who would force their opinion or force their thoughts on me or force their help on me when I didn't necessarily want it or need it or in a way that I didn't need. That was a, a very unhelpful. What was your biggest fear versus what ended up being your biggest struggle? I think that my biggest fear was having to do things alone and live without Steve. And how was I going to be able to provide for this family of just Kate and me without Steve? And how was that even going to happen with the disabilities that I now have acquired? And there are a lot of hows and wondering, and I wasn't sure how that was going to happen. So for me, it was kind of more of the immediate needs that were my fears. How was I going to be able to make ends meet? Then also, I think that some of the actual fears were um, being alone. How was I going to raise this baby alone? And um, so initially it was more like financially, how was I going to make things meet? How was I going to feed my baby and me, put a roof over our heads, et cetera. And then it was, how am I going to do this life alone? And that was very, very hard to deal with too, is um, you feel so alone, especially because your friends try to help as much as they can, but they have their own lives too. And um, for me, I had to give the grace for that also, um, because they, they have great intentions, but can't always follow through because they do have their own lives and their own families. So being alone, that was very, very hard to deal with. Yeah. And when we talk about grief, it's not just grieving the death of Steve, right? A lot of people, when they think about grief, they think about just death, but really from the very beginning, you've had to grieve a lot of things. You even starting with the difficulty in getting pregnant, leaving California and the friends and the family that you had to say goodbye to and the loss and what maybe you thought pregnancy would be like, and then what you experience and a lot of the trauma that happened there and the bleeding and the worry of miscarriage. And then you had a lot of losses as far as your body's ability to do things, which then led into a loss of independence for you. And then what you just kind of talked about and touched on was that loss of having to figure out finances. And now as a single mom, what do I do? So you had a lot of losses that happened in this period. It wasn't just the death and loss of Steve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Grief is multifaceted and it's difficult to know where all the feelings are coming from and why but it definitely mounts up and feels like an overwhelming mountain that you can never climb and praise the Lord that we have him because he is there and he is steadfast. He will never leave you or forsake you. And I believe that his promises are true. And so I think that it's very overwhelming in general because yeah, I even had to fight with insurance companies to pay my bills for the accident when they said that they would, um, the health insurance and then they didn't. And then after two years, they finally did, but they didn't pay all of it. And then I had all these different layers and it was very overwhelming mentally. And then physically, I had to also grieve the loss of things that I could do on my own. 
that I could not do on my own anymore. And I started to get also very angry. Like if I dropped something on the ground, I actually could not bend over to pick it up because my body would not allow that. And then I would just get so frustrated and just start crying because my body was able to pick that up. Not even, you know, a few months prior. And so working through that was, was hard, not just the initial loss of Steve, but because of the way that it happened. And then his absence is causing also all these other areas of grief to rise up because yeah, how do I take care of my family? How do I take care of myself? How do I take care of the things in my future and all these things that are super, super overwhelming? How do I even open up the peanut butter jar by myself that will not open? That was something that came to me when I first had, you know, to be alone, I needed him to open the peanut butter jar and he was not there. So it's just these little things. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a little triggers you said where you don't even recognize it's the smells, it's the places you've been, it's the time of the year that you don't even recognize. And actually I've heard that quite a bit recently where they where they recognize they're having such a bad day. And then they look at the calendar and they realize, oh man, this is a significant day. Mm-hmm. Are there any books or resources that you could recommend to our listeners that kind of helped you in your journey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, the Bible was the absolute thing that helped me the most. I believe what God's word says is absolute truth and that it's living and that the Lord speaks to his people through that. And I believe his promises are true. And I even more so believe that now because God has shown me over and over and over again, how they are. And, um, some other books that helped me too. Um, one was a book by John Eldridge called all things new. That was very, very good. A great perspective on, um, dying, but also, um, heaven and, how we need to have a perspective of eternity and what God is doing. Cause he does promise to make all things new and he's working to make all things new right now. Um, then the next book is um, through the eyes of a lion by Levi Lusco. Um, Levi Lusco. He lost his daughter when she was young, him and his wife lost their daughter. And um, so he writes about that experience and how him and his wife were able to move through grief with that. And that, that was a very, very helpful, empowering story. Um, the next book is Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. And I've read that book before, but um, Ruth, you told me to read it again. And I'm so grateful that you did because there are different boundaries that I had to learn how to reset because Steve took care of certain boundaries with certain people because that is how we worked in our marriage. Um, and then suddenly I was expected to now set those boundaries and keep those boundaries because I started to get very, very overwhelmed with certain people because they didn't know my boundaries or they didn't respect my boundaries. And having boundaries is a good, healthy thing so that there can be, um, healing and relationship. Those are such great recommendations. Thank you for that. And thank you so much for coming on our podcast and sharing your story and all the wisdom and insight. Um, and just so grateful for you. Yeah. We really appreciate you coming on and you'll be immortalized as our first ever interview. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I appreciate both of you and I'm so grateful for you and the work that you are doing to help people be well and to understand the process of grief and lots of areas of their life so that they can move forward and live a healthy life. Thank you again. I really appreciate both of you for this opportunity. Thanks, Seth. We'll see you later. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us in this multi-part series as we are able to hear Stephanie's incredible story. We hope that it was a blessing to you as she shared so openly her story and her experience with grief. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful, we'd love for you to take some time and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have a question or a topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group, Mr. and Mrs. Therapy Podcast, and let us know. Disclaimer, although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. Please seek professional help if you're struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988 if you are contemplating suicide.